Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into this week's preview Fizzcast. Ian Unsworth alongside John Eads. Remember, check out our website at orangefizz.net for all articles about Syracuse football, Syracuse football recruiting, and basketball, which starts in a couple of weeks. And also keep it locked to the Twitter at orangefizz for all Syracuse sports updates. John, this is supposed to be the Clemson preview, but I don't think it's time for a Clemson preview. We know enough about Clemson already. I think all Syracuse fans know what to expect this week. If you turn on ESPN or any channel for that matter, you know exactly who Clemson has playing for them, who the quarterback is, who the running back is, and frankly, Ian, that's all that matters this week. Yeah. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, if you don't know those names, you might be living under a rock. This week's Fizz Factoid, before we really get into the thick of things, where did Dabo Sweeney play college football? Uh, We'll let you know at the end of the show, but if you have the answer, drop a reply under our tweet and see if you got it right. Okay, so John, we thought we'd do more of a state of the program sort of episode today because I really think this needs talking about. And let's let's start with this season as a whole. Why are we here in year five of the Dino Babers era, week six? Injuries are no, the number one thing you can point to. Tommy DeVito, Andre Sisco, best two players on the football team out for the rest of the season. And then it's sprinkled into the rest of the team. The offensive line, missing three or four pieces at various times, right? Jarvion Howard, Abdul Adams out. Now, Jawar Jordan is out injured. Sean Tucker is getting nicked up because he's carrying so much of the load. On the defensive side, the linebackers, young guys that are playing a boatload of snaps, are out of the game. And in the secondary, guys are starting to fall too. It's It just seems like everything injury-wise is coming to a peak for the Orange. And at several programs around the country and in the Atlantic Coastal Conference, the ACC, this isn't that big of a problem because at several other schools, and we'll get into this more, they're recruiting at a pace and at a point where it doesn't really matter if they get you know maybe one, two injuries somewhere. They can just reload, put guys in, and they're at least serviceable in those positions. Now, that's the recruiting aspect. The injury side of it is <laughs> we've had guys going down at every single position, and then some. So uh, the starters get injured, uh, guys declare for the draft, opt out of the season. Okay, the, the the twos come in, they get injured, then the threes are in, and it's just like, where does it end? You know, at some point, it's going to be like all walk-ons playing for the Syracuse football team. But it, I mean, and this is something you can't really blame Dino for. Ed Hendricks colliding with Andre Sisco in pregame warm-ups, that's not scripted. You can't blame Dino Babers for that. So... Uh, the injuries have definitely played a role. The opt-outs have definitely played a role. And it's really been trial by fire for these inexperienced young guys. Going to be trial by inferno this weekend. Reason number two I have for why we're here at Syracuse at 1-4. and four. Let's, just, let's just keep this in mind. Didn't mention it beforehand. But Syracuse at 1-4, and four, coming off a terrible loss to Liberty after a terrible loss to Duke. Um, terrible play calling. 
is my second reason why we are here at this point. And it comes on both ends. Sterling Gilbert, why he continues to call long passes on third and two, third and three, stuff like that is beyond me. That's something that I don't do in Madden. It's not that difficult. Tony White, when the run defense has defensive linemen, you have three defensive linemen on the line of scrimmage, yet you are vacating the middle on first down because you think a pass is coming against Liberty, a team with a quarterback that has completed 48 passes on the year and rushed 47 times. The discrepancy there is pretty obvious. And Liberty also did not have its starting runner back, running back. Josh Mack, mm-hmm. out. Yep. Peyton Pickett and Shedro Lewis. Shedro Lewis barely had 30 carries on the year. He ran 10 times for 170 yards. That's a 17-yard average, two touchdown runs of over 60 yards. Ridiculous. And it's not... At the end of the day, the tackling was terrible. We know that. Syracuse has been anemic to tackling these past couple of years in all three levels of defense. But you have to put your players in a position to be successful. And as much as we lauded Tony White for having the secondary ready for North Carolina's aerial attack and shutting down a ranked pit team, which now we know probably shouldn't have been ranked, it I think we got very confident about this defense, and the ability to create ter- takeaways is amazing. And it's always been with the Syracuse team, and it seems like it always will be. But the defense has been absolutely atrocious over these past two weeks. Maybe Tony White's a secondary coach. And that's why the back end is good, even with all these young guys playing, and the front seven is terrible. But if he's a secondary coach at heart, he's got to find someone else to help these defensive linemen and linebackers get it together. Because it's not going to get any easier. And I agree with the the play calling. Injuries, lack of recruiting at key positions, lack of depth can definitely play a role in that as well. But when it comes to the play calling defensively, you and I have gone over this several times, you know, when we get gashed on the run, it's usually, I mean, missed tackles obviously plays a role, but it's usually because we're stunting, sending some, you know, pass rushers on first and second down when you should just be playing man defense, rushing forward, trying to plug gaps and get them into third down. Instead, we're trying to stunt, send X's, send guys outside, just completely vacating the middle. And there's even some sets that we run where there's five guys down on the line and one linebacker in the middle. How is that going to work? Well, Cedro Lewis went, his two touchdown runs were, un, he was untouched going through the middle. Untouched. So it didn't work, right. to, to be completely honest. And then the offensive side, we just need to, they, Syracuse just needs to dumb it down. And like you said, there's one is, play. Is it not dumbed down already? I feel like Apparently it's not. so dumbed down. There's like three play calls that the passing game has. There's like the bubble screen, there's the slant, and there's the four verticals. And then there's five different ways to give it to Sean Tucker. It's, it's, not, it's not that complicated. Then it must be the selection because the one play that sticks in both of our heads is that third down and one, first drive of the game, I want to say. Yes, it was the first drive of the game. From our 40-yard line, third and one, Tucker had already ran the ball for nine yards on two carries. You know, good. not Obviously not great, but good. 
instead of just handing it off to him again, picking up the first down, fresh set, you know, this is where you can get your tempo going. Dino elects to, or Dino and Sterling, I'm not really sure who, between the two of them, they elect to throw a jump ball down the left sideline to, I think, Taj Harris. Yeah, it was Taj Harris. And it was nearly intercepted, threw it into double coverage. Yeah, I'm just, why? Why? In that sense, the play calling, I guess, is dumbed down enough to your standards, but the selection is wrong. Why do you, this is this reminds us of um, Florida State last year. This is why their offense was so bad. They threw the ball deep, mu- like far too often. Instead of just picking up first downs, sustaining good methodical drives, we're throwing deep shots on third and one instead of just picking up first downs. So where does where does this blame lie? If the coordinators aren't cutting it, I think we have to cut them a bit of slack. It's their first year, and. To me, Tony White is going to have his his ups and downs. I've said it already. So I'm okay if he has a couple rough games. I'm not okay with Sterling Gilbert coming in, not changing a thing, mm-hmm. and still just getting off scot-free because it's his first year. It's not his first year with Dino. It's not his first year in this offense. It's inexcusable. But regardless of how well or not well the coordinators are doing their job, it's, it's Dino Babers at the end of the day who's going to take the brunt of the blame number one has been taking the brunt of the blame number two and at the end of the day it's it's his problem if this team isn't playing well there's there's no if ands or buts about it Dino Babers is the guy that's going to get up in front of the media on Monday and on Saturdays after games and explain why his team is playing so poorly and he's not going to blame it on the coordinators He's going to take the brunt of the blame himself, or he's going to say we are have to get better, or he's he, Dino's, or he's going to give us fifteen movie analogies. I don't know, <laughs> but Dino has been hiding under this cover of we're getting better. This is a young team. It, it he says all of these sort of things that are, I guess, just all these you know the general football phrases that you can get away with all this sort of stuff, especially. When you don't have your starting quarterback or your all preseason All American safety, but this week it just feels different. I don't, I do, I'm not accepting any more of Dino's excuses. I don't think most people are, and he was notably different during his press conference after the game on Saturday and then this Monday too. Yeah, see, he made some very mysterious quotes. Would you call them pointed? Um, in what sense? It pointed in just like, I guess a bit at his team. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He he, bl- you know some of the things he said. He blamed some dudes. He brought guys up by name. Sometimes even not, but you know you could just infer who he was talking about. He hasn't really done that before. Uh, but uh, that was a, that was the post game. So obviously emotions are running through things like that. But he recovered in the next press conference. Kind of you know hyped those same guys up a little bit, but. The, the comments that stuck out to you, know, you, me, and Syracuse fans everywhere were the ones about how he was kind of leading to the fact that he may not have a job next year. And obviously, John Wildhack shot down those rumors this week. It makes a lot of sense that John Wildhack would do something like that, though, because looking, looking at the whole, I guess, college football landscape, is there a guy other than Dino Babers that I can picture leading the Syracuse program to the great successes of the early 90s. No. That's the toughest part about college football in terms of hiring and firing coaches. 
there's not an assistant on this Syracuse team that I'd be ready to pull up to the head coaching position. And there's not a guy from the outside who I'm comfortable bringing in and saying, all right, this is your program. And as you said before we started, Dino's coached winning teams before. He's done it at other places. He had a 10-3 season here. And it seems like he's doing okay in the recruiting department. I mean, Syracuse football recruiting is never going to be what it once was. And everybody's just going to have to accept that. But it has to take small strides year by year by year. Five wins last year didn't cut it. And certainly two wins this year isn't going to cut it. To get better in recruiting, we have to build off of a season where not only does the whole team play well together, but the whole team shows improvement. That 10-3 and three year, seniors everywhere. Mm-hmm. Eric Dungey, main name, obviously. And the team, the team probably reached its peak at that point. For Dino to really bring in a great recruiting class, he has to show the recruits that the team is getting better. And I'm not sure he's done that yet. That's why his recruiting classes have been at the bottom of the ACC year after year. He had a great opportunity to do just that last season. They came in, uh, first game against Liberty, ranked in the top 25, and then you got a chance to go on the road and beat a good, you know, not a good, uh, a Big Ten team, we'll just say that, uh, who turns out they're really good, uh, against us at least, Syracuse. <laughs> Maybe not the rest of the year. Right. Yeah, right. against Syracuse, that offense, Maryland offense, looked unstoppable. Just, uh, and, and then you had a chance to beat Clemson at home again after playing them tough. The, you know, the prior two seasons. So that that huge loss to Maryland, I think, really sent this program down a bad trajectory because uh, at once it, they were on a very nice, very nice upward climb. But I think Syracuse has taken small steps forward in the recruiting, and I'll give you a couple numbers to back that up. So last season we were 58th in the country in recruiting, this year 47th. So a pretty good jump there. Being in the top 50 is not, you know, it's it's a pretty hard thing, especially for a school like Syracuse, who every year recruits top 40 easily in basketball, but football is a different story. Now, the silver lining within that 47th is Syracuse is 12th out of 14, technically 13 out of 15 if you factor in Notre Dame. So that's the silver lining. Uh, I, th- <laughs> I think it's pretty uh, comparable to how Syracuse is in the ACC as well, that, that 13 out of 15 number. It makes a lot of sense. John, you're more of the recruiting guy, I guess, when it comes to football. I'll ask you, I'll just throw this one to you. Syracuse has obvious gaps that they need to plug in terms of depth and in terms of just talent. Who are the, like, give me, like, let's let's do this. Give me three names that can make an instant impact next year for Syracuse. Because, let's just keep in mind, this year, Syracuse's best recruit, Latari Kinsler, isn't playing yeah well i'm very confused why that is i guess because steve linton and stefan thompson have proven themselves better but he injured i think i heard he's injured maybe he's injured but it it syracuse needs some new blood needs an influx of talent who are going to be the guys next year sure i'll take a stab at this so you got to start at a quarterback justin lampson uh i well i'm not sure he'll make uh, he'll obvi- when he comes in, the quarterback room is going to be elevated twofold, easily. 
Even if he's the backup quarterback, he just has that kind of talent. Reminds everybody of Eric Dungy, just a prolific passer and a very good runner to go along with it. So he'll be a backup. He could even take on Tommy DeVito as the starter. Who knows? So that's one. Two, you got to look at Deuce Chestnut, our top, uh, the top recruit in the 2021 class. At one point, was a four star, but that, regardless, he has a lot of raw talent. He can play, you could put him in on the offense in some packages, and he could play, obviously, he's a very good lockdown corner, even special teams, too. Very good in the return game. So that's two. Now, three is much harder to pick because there's Enrique Cruz. The problem with me picking him is that I don't think he has the frame to play tackle just yet. I think he might need a year when he comes in. He's only about 252 pounds, according to the website. So he may have you know, jumped up. A little bit since then and you know we don't have the official number but that's what it says so I think he needs a year I and I'm gonna go with Landon Morris so this is the guy who played uh plays at the same high school that JJ McCarthy did before transferring to IMG the five-star quarterback committed to Michigan in the 2021 class he reminds me so much of Alan Lazard and uh Evan Ingram a tight end wide receiver type a flex tight end he's 6'5 210 he may even weigh more and be taller than that now. These aren't the official metrics. These are what are based off the 247 Sports Recruiting site. I think he's a guy that comes in. He gives you so many options in the red zone. He's like Aaron Hackett, but he's even more of a receiving threat. We haven't really had a tight end like that here. So I think those are your three guys you need to look for. And then obviously a big thing, just final thing, uh, defensive line recruiting depth has been terrible. We're bringing five defensive line recruits in this year. That's big. Only two linebackers, though. That's one thing I am a bit skeptical about on this class. I would love to see Syracuse plug in those gaps a bit more because Mikel Jones, the way he's playing this year, could be headed to the league after 2021, and that leaves a huge gap at that linebacking position. Um, I'm pretty good on recruiting. I, I, I don't think there's much more wiggle room for Dino Babers at this point. We'll see how the 2022 class progresses because no matter how big that buyout is, if Syracuse isn't bringing talent in by 2022-2023, then that's where we start to get shaky because Dino Babers, despite how much everybody likes him and despite how much like how well his reputation, how good his reputation is with the fans, at a certain point the buck stops somewhere sure. and that buyout just has to get paid. I think it's pretty encouraging, though, how the younger recruits from the past couple classes have panned out thus far. You know, you look at Rob Hanna, uh, Garrett Williams uh, defensively. I think they've done very well. Mikel Jones looked very solid in the middle. That was a huge recruiting win. He had an offer from Georgia just to throw one school at you there. Uh, I think some of the younger guys like that have really looked good. Uh, and we'll just have to see how they progress because you can come in and look solid your first year but you can you know you can go down a downward trajectory so uh, I think there's definitely some signs of optimism but we just need to see that on a bigger scale and in the win and loss column for that matter absolutely let's move to Clemson for a quick second if you don't know Clemson you don't know college football Clemson absolutely demolished I mean I can't think of enough adjectives to describe this win they beat Georgia Tech 73 to 7 Take a second and admire that. 73 to 7. It was 52 to 7 at halftime, and they still scored despite playing their all all every backup quarterback and even their punter through a couple passes. 
Okay, so Clemson is uber talented. Yes. We know. Trevor Lawrence, probably going to win the Heisman. Travis Etienne, obviously going to the league next year, first round pick. Receivers, Amari Rodgers. What was the, what was that touchdown he had last year in the dome? Was that a 80, 80 plus yard touchdown? Yeah, something, I, something I saw Syracuse it, should be scoring. I on. saw it right in front of me, yeah. and, and I was in the student section that day. I was devastated just watching that and feeling like the game fell through the orange fingers. John, behind Amari Rodgers, there isn't really that much proven talent, though. No, not at all. A lot of young guys, and obviously that's not what Clemson was expecting. Coming into the season, you had Justin Ross coming back, T. Higgins left for the draft, but you expected Ross back, and he's out for the season with his uh, injury medical condition, unfortunately. So you got Amari Rogers, you got a guy named Joe Ngata, and then Frank Lazen, who you mentioned, but that might be the one Achilles heel of this Clemson team. Obviously not against Syracuse, because their talent just is going to destroy us, but Going forward and on the national scale, I think that could be the one position that holds them back, much like Penn State, uh, a team with very good stable of running backs and good quarterback play, but not really a lot of proven guys catching the football. On the defensive side, Clemson's loaded. There's nothing else to say about this defense. Super experienced linebackers, Balen Spector, James Skalski, both played excellently last year in the college football playoff. Uh, Miles Murphy, a freshman defensive end already three and a half sacks on the year. Another guy, freshman, to watch out for on the defensive line. Brian Breeze, a five-star recruit coming in. Two beasts that are both going to have great careers in college. He's an animal. And Ian, frankly, it doesn't matter who Clemson puts out there on defense. Their MVP is Brett Venables, the defensive coordinator. This guy is just a defensive genius, and he should be a head coach somewhere, but he's... <laughs> It's because he's the highest paid assistant coach anywhere that he's not. So he's he's just a great mind. And yeah, I mean, it, they can put anybody out there, but obviously they have some talent, even though they lost quite a bit last year. You mentioned Skalski, uh, Brzee, Murphy, uh, Spectre, Balen Spectre, another guy. Uh, so yeah, they just got playmakers on each and every level of the defense. CFB News says Clemson's going to win by a score of 58 to 13, Athlon says Clemson 52 to 17. However, however, John, those both cover right. for Syracuse. The line, depending on where you look, is Clemson favored by 46 points. So, do the Orange have a chance to cover that spread? I think they do. I think they have a chance at a backdoor cover. Now, uh, CFB News has Syracuse scoring 13 points, Athlon 17. I think Syracuse is able to score somewhere between that point range. Good amount of field goals, potentially. And if they do score, it's going to be late in the game against Clemson's 7th and 8th stringers on defense. Do they have 7th and 8th stringers? Is that their <laughs> offense? <laughs> it's just a hyperbole. <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope Dylan Markowitz or Jacobian Morgan gets at least a little bit of playing time. Let let Rex deal with the first stringers, second stringers, third stringers. He can take the hits. He will take the. He certainly will get hit this Saturday. But at least give one of those guys or both of them. I don't care. Give them a little bit of experience because if it's not going to be Devito next year and Lampson isn't ready, it's going to be Jacobian Morgan or Dylan Markowitz. So my hope for this game is that Syracuse can a call plays 
at a reasonable clip. Just just make smart play calls. Yeah. If it all comes down to it, number one. Number two, tackle. Don't don't have any sixty yard runs, seventy yard receptions because Amari Rodgers is running all over the field, or Travis Etienne is shaking five guys and at the ten yard line and then breaking it for a ninety yard score. Wrap up. Play fundamental football. At, and at the end of the day, we knew Syracuse probably wasn't going to win this game coming into the season right now. I just hope Syracuse can go to Death Valley and put on a performance that doesn't make me turn it off by the second quarter. Even though we don't have a choice, but that's besides the point. Can we keep the score respectable? I think we can. Like you said, we got to play What is respectable? What is respectable? Um, 28 points or less, I'd say. Oh, I, I don't know about that. I'd, it, it, I don't know if we can, but I want to give, I, I want to say how we can. So like you said, fundamentals, avoid, Clemson's going to gash us for some big plays, but can you avoid the home run biggest play ever? Now, what I mean by that is, can you bring down ETN? Can you make tackles for 30-yard gains instead of 70? Can you bring them down in the field of play instead of trying to punch the football out and let them score easy touchdowns? And on, on the offense, can you put together a couple methodical drives? Can you hold on to the football, dominate time of possession, maybe have a couple 10-play drives? You may not score, but can you move the ball down the field? And can you put yourself in a position to potentially get some good field position? We have a great punter, Nolan Cooney. Uh, was just listed on the uh, watch list for the best punter. Ray Guy Award. Yeah, Ray Guy Award. That's it. So can we use him to our advantage? And... Can we, you know? I, I just want to see this team come out with something to prove. We've beaten this team before. We've been competitive with them before. I mean, obviously the odds are stacked against Syracuse this year, but can they come out with something to prove? Can Tony White come out and call a better game, call his best game? Uh, what does that look like? I'd like to find out. Uh, so I, you know, I think Syracuse can keep it respectable. I would really hope so. Syracuse and Clemson kicking off at 12 noon on Saturday in Death Valley. Believe that game's either going to be on ACC Network or ESPN. Would be a shame if Syracuse's only ESPN game gets bumped down to ACC Network. But another, either way, another nooner. Yeah, another another nooner. We'll be up early, and uh, hope you guys tune in, enjoy the game. Thank you so much for listening. For John Eads, I've been Ian Unsworth. John has one more thing to get in. We have to give him the answer for the fizz factoid. Oh, yes, factoid. give him the answer for the fizz factoid. So, Dabo Swinney played college football at Alabama, 1990-1992. And now, Ian, he is the biggest thorn in their side. If you can't join him, beat him. But So, I mean, some, something like that, right? If you can't beat him, join him, but it's the opposite? Right. It, it's got to be something along those lines. Dabo's just <laughs> beating Bama year after year after year. Maybe this year. Maybe this year. As I was saying, for John Eads, I've been Ian Unsworth. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, as we bite our nails this week to see if Syracuse can keep it close, go Orange, baby. Go Orange.